Welcome to the audio sermons of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. We hope you are encouraged by listening. For more information, please feel free to browse our site at www.sbrpc.org. Earlier this year, if you happen to have been here with us from January to about June, we studied together the book of Revelation and uh, And what we're going to do uh, over the next few weeks is we're going to go back to the book of Revelation um, and look at some passages there. You know, the church calendar historically has used the four weeks leading up to Christmas, not only uh, as time to reflect on the first coming of Jesus, but also to reflect on the second coming of Jesus. And so I thought it'd be fun for us to go back to Revelation and, and look there. Um, And there are a few themes that I didn't get to quite cover, and so that's what I want to do over these next few weeks. And the first theme that I want us to reflect on together is that of home. So let me read Revelation 21, verses 1 through 7, and then 22, 1 through 5, and then I'll pray for us, and then we'll get started. So let's listen to God's holy word. Revelation 21, verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, For the former things have passed away. And He who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And then from chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him and ask for his help this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, we do come to you and ask for your help. This is your word, and we do not need to hear the voice of a man this morning, but we need to hear the voice of the living God. And so we pray that you would take this word by your spirit, that you would write it upon our hearts, that you would convict us and comfort us, 
that you would break us and remake us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Why are we so fascinated with this idea of home? I would say it's beyond a fascination. We are obsessed with this idea of home. Uh, Some of us, over the next few weeks, we're going to watch movies that entirely revolve around this idea, this theme of home, that are just sharply focused on home. Everything from Christmas Vacation to Miracle on 34th Street, um, from made-for-TV Hallmark Christmas movies, which are already playing at my house, to classic Home Alone. We're just, we're obsessed with home. I mean, all the songs that we're going to hear about coming home from Christmas and all that kind of stuff, we're so fascinated with this idea of home. A while ago, I was thinking about how many songs out there exist about home. I mean, there are thousands of them. You know that John Denver, he begged the country roads to take him home, right? Uh, Leonard Skinner, of course, sang about his sweet home, Alabama. Uh, The Foo Fighters confessed in their song, all I want is home, right? Country music, classic rock, soul, pop, whatever your folk music, whatever your thing, there is a song about home out there because Dirks Bentley, Sheryl Crow, One Direction, Jack Johnson, the Goo Goo Dolls, they all have songs with a one-word title, Home. The Beatles and Springsteen and Journey and Phil Collins and John Foreman and Adele and Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros and Philip Phillips, if you remember that guy from American Idol, they all have songs about home. Songs, movies, books, stories, right? Hobbits are constantly pining for home back in the Shire. All this stuff, fascinated, obsessed with home. Among all the other themes that we're going to get to in coming weeks, there's themes of the temple and themes of the garden that we want to look at. But Revelation 21 and 22, as one author puts it, is about, quote, God creating the perfect home for his people. So let's think about home this morning. Let's talk about three things. I want to talk about the home we've lost, the home we're seeking, and the home we're getting. All right, first, the home we've lost. I, I, just, I want to attempt to put my finger a little bit on the human condition, our human experience um, in this first point. I think poet Maya Angelou summed it up well when she wrote, the ache for home lives in all of us the safe place where we can go as we are. Right? We're not just fascinated with it, the idea of home. We are, fat, we are obsessed with it. We are aching for it, hurting for it, longing for it, pining for it, because deep down we all know it's missing. Right? Instinctively, we know that we lost our true home. And we're all aching for this safe place that we can go as we are. There are all these allusions in the last two chapters of Revelation to the Garden of Eden 
and the first three chapters of Genesis. We'll come back to some of them in detail over the next few weeks, but we're reminded of the creation of heaven and earth in Revelation 20, in chapter 21. We're reminded of this being able to dwell with God in chapter 21 and seeing His face in chapter 22. It reminds us of paradise. It reminds us of a time when man walked in the garden with God in the cool of the day where nothing is cursed. We read that in chapter 22, right? There's the river of the water of life. There's the tree of life in chapter 22. You know why there are all these allusions to, to Genesis in Revelation, right? And especially in these last two chapters of Revelation is because these aren't just the last two chapters of Revelation. They're the last two chapters of the Bible, Right, and all the loose ends of God's story of redemption are being gathered together here at the end. You know, in Genesis, we're told that God created mankind, Adam and Eve, and He put them in this garden to do life in this garden before the sunshine of His face. But it didn't last very long, did it? Our first parents, they sinned against God, they defied Him, right, and they fell. Right? They sinned. They lost Eden. And when they lost Eden, they lost their true home. Genesis chapter 3, verse 24 says God drove them out of the garden. He drove them out of their home, exiled, expelled from God's loving presence. They were cast out. They were alienated. They were orphaned from their true home. And that, I would say, is our human experience and has been our human experience ever since Genesis chapter 3. Right? We feel it in our bones. We can't seem to get things quite right in this life. We feel cut off from home. I mean, home is supposed to be the place where you can go and let your guard down and be refreshed. But in this life, we don't feel that. It's not safe. We're not at home in this world. We aren't at home in our own skin. We aren't at home in our relationships. We sense this alienation just all around us. We're alienated from the world, right? Thorns and thistles everywhere, tragedy and trauma and lack of fulfillment and brokenness and sickness and death all around us all the time. We're alienated from ourselves in deep shame, in insecurity, and fear. We're alienated from one another. Our relationships are full of strife and dysfunction and sorrow and wound, wound, being wounded and wounding. Right? Do you realize how much effort is required of you just to maintain your relationships? Right? They fall apart on their own with no help from you. Right? And they can only be maintained through incredible, strenuous, intentional work and effort. We are not at home. We have been orphaned from our true home. And this alienation that we sense all over our lives, emotional, physical, psychological, social, the Bible says is ultimately the result of our alienation from God our alienation from our Father. We lost His loving presence, the only place it was safe to go as we are. Home is supposed to refresh us, to let us let our guard down, to give us life, to give us joy. 
And home can only do that when it answers to our deepest need to come inside and be fully known and at the same time fully loved. You see, if you're loved but not known, that feels fake. It feels cheap. It feels empty. If you're known but not loved, that's the kind of rejection that feels unbearable in this life. But to be fully known inside and out to the very bottom of your soul and at the same time fully loved, that is life. That is joy. That is security. That is the deepest refreshment you could ever hope for. But here's our problem. The only one who can know us to the very bottom of our soul and love us like that has exiled us from his loving presence. I mean, between Genesis chapter 3 and Revelation 21 and 22, you hear God say it all over the place. No one can look at my face and live. Because we're sinners. And His absolute beauty, His perfect holiness and complete righteousness, it would consume and destroy us if He ever looked upon us in our sin. That's a pretty significant problem, don't you think? I mean, we lost home. Lauren Easley, in a famous essay in the 70s, and not a Christian, but he wrote, Mankind is the cosmic orphan, he wrote. We lost home and the embrace of no other arms but God's. Right? The smile of no other face but God's. The sound of no other voice but God's calling our name. The welcoming and approving look of no other eyes but God's will ever bring us home. But that won't stop us from seeking home. We're aching for it. And so we'll seek home in everything and everyone we can. Which brings us to the second point, the home we're seeking. Here I want us in this second point to understand ourselves and understand why we do the things we do. Right, my favorite C.S. Lewis quote comes from the very end of his children's series, The Chronicles of Narnia, these fantasy books. And um, I, I just want to key in on one little part of this quote for the second point. At this point in the story, all, all these fantastical creatures in Narnia, they're coming to Narnia's version of the new heaven and the new earth, right? And Lewis wrote this. And it was the unicorn who summed up what everyone was feeling. He stamped his right forehoof on the ground and neighed and then cried. I have come home at last. This is my real country. I belong here. And here it comes. The part I wanted to focus in on. He says, this is the land I've been looking for all my life, though I never knew it till now. Listen, until you begin to see your life in terms of seeking home, 
looking for home, you'll be a mystery to yourself. You won't understand yourself. You won't be able to understand why you do the things you do. Let me run through a few examples of what I mean when I say you need to see your life in terms of seeking home. There are some of you um, who think, if I could just get him or her to love me, maybe it's a potential boyfriend, potential girlfriend. I know you don't say it out loud, but you're thinking, if she loved me, if he loved me, maybe that would be enough to satisfy me. Maybe it would be enough to fulfill me and make me whole. Maybe then I could be convinced that I'm lovable. You're seeking home. The safe place where you can go as you are and be known and loved. And those of us who are married, you're not off the hook. Because spouses put this same kind of pressure on each other all the time. This pressure to satisfy another's deepest longings. To be fully seen and desired and loved and wanted and accepted. And I'm telling you, no spouse can live up to that. If you expect it, not only are you going to crush your spouse in the process, but you're setting yourself up for disappointment and resentment and bitterness to follow you all of your days. Because you're seeking home. And no girlfriend, no boyfriend, no husband, no wife can give you that. So you can't find home in romance. So you think maybe your career can give it to you. I mean, if you were a success and you were admired and you were adored and you made lots of money that could maybe protect you from life's arms, maybe that could be the safe place you could go as you are. This past week, I stumbled across some notes I I jotted down from stories of, a few stories of people who had achieved all of that. You know, Jim Carrey in a, a documentary done a few years ago said, that at the moment, at the moment, he experienced the fruition of all his dreams. He felt, quote, absolute confusion, disappointment, and unhappiness. Musician, artist, Moby, I I think I've shared this before, at the very pinnacle of his success and fame, he said that he had never been more despondent and miserable And he was looking for a way to throw himself out of his hotel room room window. Chris Everett, the great women's tennis player, said that at the height of her success, she found herself crying two to three times a day. And that she was, quote, depressed and afraid and felt completely lost. No romance, no career, no success, no achievement is big enough to satisfy our search for home. I hope you're beginning to get a feel for what I'm saying about seeing your life in terms of seeking home because we're doing it all the time. And by the way, you also won't find home by belonging to the right social circle here in Baton Rouge or by buying that boat or that perfect vacation home or by being the right size and shape 
or by giving your life to some cause or by having a bigger bank account or getting sexual fulfillment or finding a good-looking spouse, three well-behaved kids, a dog, and a picket fence. And if you're looking for a cat, you're not even in the game. Um, We're always seeking. We're always seeking but never finding. Cosmic orphans like us, we're scared, we're scarred, we're wounded, we're insecure, we're broken, we're alone, and we will seek home in anything and anyone we can. Until you begin to see your life in terms of seeking home, you are a mystery to yourself. And you don't understand why you're enticed by what you're enticed by. Or why you worship the idols you do. Or why certain sins seem to so easily entangle you. You know, we started this point with C.S. Lewis, so let's end it with him. Uh, Lewis acknowledged all these things. That, that romance, career, the boat, the desire for sex, the vacation home, whatever. All the things that we mentioned. They were just tastes of home, he said. But they were not home. Right? He would say a sense of home comes through those things, but cannot be found in those things. So he writes, For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never visited. And then Lewis writes, Almost all our modern philosophies have been devised to convince us that the good of man is to be found on this earth. When they want to convince you that earth is your home, notice how they set about it. They begin by trying to persuade you that earth can be made into heaven, thus giving a sop to your sense of exile in earth as it is. See, we're orphans. We are exiled from our true home. And though there are things in this life that give us tastes of home, that gives us hints of home. They can never be home to us. They're never enough. And so Lewis wrote famously, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Do you see in yourself this longing, this searching for the home you lost? Lewis would say, wake up. You are made for another world. So let's talk about that other world in this last point, the home we're getting. Here's what I want us to do. I want us to notice two things about this home that we're getting. What will be no more and what will be made new. All right, first, what will be, be no more? Revelation 21, 1 says... The first heaven and the first earth will pass away. And then verse 4 talks about the former things passing away. What's it talking about? I'm going to say more about this in coming weeks. But if you look at Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, No longer will there be anything cursed. Right? That's another allusion to Genesis chapter 3. When man fell and the curse entered the world. And it's saying... The first heaven and the first earth, these former things, one day, someday, they are going to be wiped clean of all the effects of the fall. 
And there will be no more curse. But we're also told in Revelation 21.1 that the sea will be no more. And then if you go to chapter 22 and verse 5, we're told that night will be no more. You see, the sea was an image of uncontrollable chaos and brokenness. And darkness was an image of dangerous vulnerability. The problem isn't nighttime or the beach, right? The problem is fallen night and fallen sea. See, Revelation is saying all the things, all the things in this life that cause us fear and anxiety and sorrow and pain, they will be no more. Right? For those of you who have suffered tremendous loss and grief and sorrow and pain, you know, some of that may be self-inflicted. And some of it was maybe inflicted on you by another. Or maybe your struggle is with mental health. That grief, that loss, that sorrow, that pain that seems to cling so tightly to you, it seems like it'll never let you go. Those are regrets that haunt you day in and day out. And in this life, you feel like you can't fully get them out of your heart or your head. Do you hear the promise of this home you're getting? God is saying those things that cause you fear and anxiety and pain and sorrow that you couldn't escape in this life. Here they will be no more. This is your true home. It will be healed forever and ever. Revelation 21.4 God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain for the former things has passed away. What would it be like to finally get home and to be able to let your guard down Forever. I mean, the curse, the fear, the anxiety, the sadness, the brokenness, the PTSD, the depression, the death, the loss, the pain, the regrets, gone. No more. I was trying to imagine it this week. The furthest I got was realizing that many of us in this room are going to be gloriously unemployed in this new heaven and new earth right? We'll need new jobs. You certainly won't need a preacher to tell you about the home you're seeking because you'll be home with Jesus, right? But there won't be any doctors or surgeons or nurses or physical therapists or psychiatrists or counselors or social workers or insurance agents or policemen or soldiers Maybe we'll all be gardeners and carpenters. I have no idea. I didn't get very far into imagining it because, mainly because it's so far beyond my current experience. To let your guard down forever and ever because of all that will be no more. It's an amazing thought. Let's, let's also say a few things about what will be new. Revelation 21.1 says that there's going to be a new heaven 
and a new earth. And in verse 5, the Lamb is on His throne and He declares, Behold, I am making all things new. I mean, listen to Jesus. He doesn't say, I'm going to make all new things. He says, I am going to make all things new. Because the story of the Bible isn't one of replacement. It's a story of redemption. It's not a story of consolation, but a story of restoration. Consolation doesn't cause creation to groan with the pains of childbirth. It's glorious restoration and redemption that bursts with life and healing and joy and relief and satisfaction and fulfillment that causes creation to groan. Right? Do you realize the home we're getting? It's not going to be unrecognizable to you. It's going to be a restored, redeemed world. There will be mountains and trees and rivers, and I assume you'll go hiking. And I assume you'll drink great coffee and eat beignets in the morning. Right? You'll laugh and you'll play and you'll work, but you'll never be drained and always fulfilled. It'll be the world as it should be. Our relationships as they should be. You as you should be. The person you always knew you should be, but couldn't be in this life. In the home we're getting, you're going to find the safe place to go as you are because you will be everything you were meant to be. When you see yourself and everything else in the new heavens and new earth, do not be surprised if you find yourself saying the same thing as Lewis's unicorn. Right? This is it. This is the land I've been looking for all my life. And you know why? Here it is. All our alienations in this life are a result of our alienation from God. But in that day, Revelation 21.3, we're told, God will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. The same hands that flung the stars into the universe will be the hands that wipe away your tears forever. Those arms that sustain everything that is in existence will be the same ones that embrace you. The warmth of that smile that gives everything life, it will be upon you. That voice that speaks everything into existence will speak your name in love. And those eyes that can see you to the very bottom of your soul they will look on you with unspeakable joy and delight. In that day, you will finally know what it is to be home. Because you'll know what it is to experience being fully known and at the same time fully loved. And you know, that leaves one question, I think. How is it that scared, scarred, insecure, broken, 
sinful, wounded people like us. Orphans. How is it that orphans can know that that's the home that awaits us, the home we've been looking for all our life? There's a young couple who decided they wanted to adopt a uh, young boy from an orphanage in Eastern Europe. Uh, I can't remember which country, but this boy's name was Victor. And months prior, they had seen his picture uh, from the adoption agency. They'd read what scant biographical information was available on him. And finally, the long-awaited day for them to travel from the U.S. to Eastern Europe came, and they got on the plane with all their stuff, and they went to this orphanage, and when they finally saw this orphanage in person, it just broke their hearts, right? These tiny little tight rooms with six beds crammed into each room, the awful condition and disrepair of this orphanage. Um, It was so sad to them, but finally they met Victor. And when they met Victor, they were so excited to see him, right? Uh, They had come to love him after all these months of waiting. And so, as you might expect, they brought with them gifts to shower him with. You know, there were toys and there were new clothes for him to wear and candy and all that kind of stuff. They were so excited. And so was he to get all of these new belongings. But then it came time for them to leave and take Victor home. And Victor ran away from them and hid from them. And they looked everywhere for him. Every room, open doors, shut doors, looking for him all over the grounds of the orphanage. Look for him. Couldn't find him. Eventually, they found him hiding in this little closet, clinging with everything he had to this other little boy. And they tried to pry him free, but they couldn't. And you finally, through a translator, they learned that he was saying over and over that he was not leaving. And so when they were finally able to ask why, clinging to this other little boy, he said, I'm not leaving without my brother. So instead of bringing one child home, right, they brought two brothers home. Do you know what Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 says? It says Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Jesus, God's own son, he came and he wrapped himself around you. And he said, I'm not leaving without you. You are my brother, my sister. Orphans no longer fatherless, but sons and daughters of the living God. He came to redeem those exiled, those who were cut off from his Father's loving presence. How did he do that? Isaiah 53 tells us he was cut off from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of his people. You can know this home awaits you today simply by trusting in the work of Jesus for you because he took the curse we deserved so that we would get the blessing that only he deserved 
the sunshine of his father's face. I had another, let me just end with this application. Um, some of you here this morning, you're not believers. And we're so glad that you're here with us. Do you know, sometimes I think the clearest step to faith is wanting it to be true. And if you want this to be true of you, to know that this home awaits you, I encourage you today to run into the arms of Jesus and trust Him with your life. He will bring you home. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word this morning. Thank You that we can be together here today to hear Your Word, to sing Your praises. Um, Father, I pray that You would make us aware in a new way, uh, keenly aware that we have lost home and that we are seeking it in everything and everyone we can. And I pray that You would reveal to all of us Your Son, Jesus, who came and wrapped Himself around us and said He's not leaving without us. Father, would You work faith deep in our hearts that Your only Son came and took the curse for us in order that we might receive the blessing only He deserves, which is Your smile forever and ever upon us. And Father, we pray that that good news would set us free in joy and wonder. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Thank you for listening to this audio sermon of South Baton Rouge Presbyterian Church. Please feel free to pass it along to others who might be encouraged by this message. Also, if you have any questions or would like to know more about the church or a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, please feel free to browse our website at www.sbrpc.org or contact the church office directly at area code 225-768-9999. Again, thank you for listening.